a couple of months ago, um, a friend was sharing with me, not someone from the church, that he had had way too much to drink like three nights before and he was still affected by it. So I was kind of, initially I was impressed, like three nights. And then I thought of Proverbs 31, which says that we offer strong drink to those who are suffering. So I wondered if something was going on in his life. But we were just in passing. We're not very good friends. I didn't know what to say, actually. That was a series of jokes that you guys either didn't like or didn't get, which is fine. But when he's telling me that, and then another guy about eight or nine months ago said the same thing, just friends that I actually play basketball with, and I just don't know how to respond. Oh, I got so wasted. I was like, you know, I don't know how to respond. Yeah. And the reason is, you know, I don't know the story, and I'm thinking through, what, just as a human being, I'm not always sure what to do in that moment, because... Life and being a human with other humans and being a friend and being a neighbor is complex. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love rejoices with the truth and not at wrongdoing. Those are vague statements. Very clear in some instances, very vague in others. One of the things that I don't like about our culture's in love with loveness is that it sort of implies that love's kind of a pushover. You know, like if, if romantic love is so important, if feelings are so essential to being a human being, I kind of wonder if we believe that love has any kind of backbone. In a traditional society, feelings are marginalized. In a modern society, feelings are almost everything with respect to love. And one of the many problems with that is it gives us this sense that maybe love is kind of weak. Well, biblically, that's not the case. Jesus says that God loves us, that's love with a backbone. When Jesus calls us to love neighbor, that's love with a backbone. When Jesus even says we love enemy, which means everybody, it's love with a backbone. It's not a pushover. I think love sees the neighbor in front of us. The one we didn't choose and the one we did choose. And with very little thought to ourself, longs for their good. That's what love is and does. Sees the neighbor. The one we chose and the one we didn't choose. And we long for their good. What does it mean to long for their good? I don't think you and I fully know, and that's okay. Some of our most profound and basic theology frees us to hold with an open hand what it means to long for someone's good. What it means to rejoice with the truth and not rejoice at wrongdoing means in some sense that we're acknowledging that God exists and we're not Him. Even those of you that are considering the gospel, you're not sure about Jesus and allegiance to Him, you are confident that you're not Him though, right? Let me speak with clarity and precision as a man who has been ordained for a long time, I do know that you're not him. Which means that rejoicing with the truth and not at wrongdoing is, is going to be partial and imperfect and we're going to get it wrong sometimes. I actually don't even remember what I said to those two friends when they shared their drinking exploits with me because I had no idea what to say. According to the Gospel of Jesus and the New Testament especially, Love is sick. You heard somebody say love's a choice? That's not true. 
Not, not if they're saying it's just a choice. And usually what people mean when they say that is they're correcting something that deserves correction, which is love's all about feelings. Love is about feelings, not just about feelings. Love is about choice, not just about choice. Choice. Love is also about truth and love. Have you heard this formulation that grace without truth is enabling? Truth without grace is mean? Grace without truth is not grace? Truth without grace is a bully? First heard this formulation from Francis Schaeffer. There's this black preacher that I really like uh, named H.B. Charles. Starts every morning with this tweet, The Lord be with you today. Kind of warms my heart a little bit. And he was talking, he was formulating grace without truth and truth without grace, how problematic they are. Love, according to the scriptures, is a robust thing. It's not a pushover. If you're a follower of Christ... You are being grown in love. And our church community is being grown up in love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about the church and he describes it as a a body with different parts and functions and people with different gifts and how that's important. And then he says, but there's something more important. And that is learning as a community and and as individuals to love well. Learn to be grown through faith in Jesus to love well. He defines it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful that you are a good father to us. We are thankful for the work of Christ that frees us back into relationship with you. And we're thankful for the Holy Spirit that indwells those of us that call you Lord. Bless us this morning. Grow us up in love. Amen. Love is not a pushover, but knows when to rejoice and not. What, what do you do when someone wants you to celebrate a bad decision? Or uh, it wants you to celebrate something and you're not sure if it's a good decision or a bad. What do you do? Been in that position before? Do you go to the event? Do you not go to the event? Do you fake it? I am so bad at faking celebration. I'm so bad. I'm probably also bad at celebrating. But I'm really bad at faking it. I'm okay at faking other things. My wife is concerned that many of you cannot tell if I'm angry or not. Um, So you can let me know whether I'm faking it or not. When you perceive that, maybe hold up a finger. Like you seem angry. I don't know. What do you do? I think it depends. I think it's not always clear. I think humanly it's difficult to figure out. Which means that a follower of Jesus is going to often come across as odd. 
Not always sure we can celebrate the things that people are going to ask us to celebrate. Not always sure we can be angry at the things that people are going to ask us to be angry about. As we are grown by Jesus in rejoicing in the truth and not rejoicing in wrongdoing. My personal opinion is if they invite you to a party, go. Unless it's in a strip club, let's be clear about that. Don't go to that one. I mean, come on, let's get practical here. But if they invite you to a party, you know, you can go. I have to lie and say you think all their decisions are awesome. But there's another point that I need to make and I need to be really clear about it. Followers of Jesus, we are not the morality police for anybody except one another. 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says, who am I to judge an outsider? Meaning he's getting borderline sarcastic, reminding them like, why would I have anything to do with someone outside the church? Those inside the church, we actually are. Do you know that? When you join the church, you accept the spiritual and moral authority of the church, which does not mean me. It means all of us. I accept yours also. If you think our elders have never corrected me, you're incorrect. I didn't even realize what a great, great joke that was. <laughs> so you all laughed. The Christians, we are not the morality police for other people. And th- there's two reasons that I, that I want to impress this upon all of us. One is because we're not. It's clear in 1 Corinthians 5. And if you think Paul's being over the top, read 1 Corinthians 5. It's a really dicey situation of a person inside the church who's not acting like a follower of Jesus. And Paul's kind of pulling his hair out. Like you could just, I think he was probably dictating 1 Corinthians, but I think he was writing really firmly about what to do and not do about it. We do help one another live like followers of Christ, those of us that are members of the church. Yet another reason you should consider not joining if you're not but those outside the church we don't worry about for me this has become um, this is how I formulate it in my mind when I'm out with people not you know from the church or even from the church we're not at the church whatever I try and remember that for some people I am their pastor most of you for other people I'm a pastor that they know And for other people, I'm a guy that believes weird things. A couple of years ago, I was with a number of friends, and one of them was uh, getting closer and closer to divorce. And this person did not go to my church. At the time, I was not sure if they were a follower of Jesus or not, and I really wanted to speak into it pastorally and humanly. And so I started to. And you know what happened? I missed the opportunity to sit with my friend and put my arm around him and just say that I was sorry. I actually missed the opportunity. Probably the, person's, the person they were least close to in the room saw the opportunity and sat with them and put their arm around them. And I, went, and I told her I was sorry later. And that marriage has actually been restored by God's grace. But in the moment, because I was a little confused about whether or not I'm supposed to help other people with their morality, those outside the church, I missed an opportunity for neighbor love. Followers of Jesus, we are not the morality police, except when we are with each other. And even then, we're still not the morality police. We're humans trying to help other humans follow Jesus as best we can. What do you say when a friend of yours says they're thinking about divorce? 
What do you do when they want you to commiserate about how much they hate their boss? And you're like, yeah, your boss does, in your head, you're thinking, your boss does sound mean. But Jesus said, love everybody. What do I do? How do I rejoice with the truth in this moment and not rejoice at wrongdoing in this moment? What do you do when your friend says, man, three days ago I drank too much, it's still sitting there. What do you do when your friend makes a racist joke? What do you do when they make a sexist joke? You laugh because you realize it was funny. You remember like, yeah, I need to, yep, the Lord's growing me up still. Right? We're counting on the Lord in those moments to give us grace, to help us. I'm not going to tell you what to say in those situations. Every one of those situations is complex. What kind of relationship do you have with that person? I'll tell you when you can speak into someone else's morality who's outside the church. Ready? When they ask. If they don't ask, I'd say be a good friend, but don't try and press in. Sometimes you, ha- you can and you have to. Feel that out if you're very close with them, sure. But love knows when to rejoice with the truth and not at wrongdoing and how. And so in those moments, here's my encouragement. Take a breath and pray. Maybe not out loud. Might freak your friend out. Gosh, I hate my boss. Can we just pray right now? <laughs> But in your head, Lord. And that's going to make us odd and better friends. Love is not a pushover. Knows when to rejoice. And the reason I feel very confident in what I'm teaching this morning is what is joy according to the scripture? What does it mean to take joy in truth and to not take joy in wrongdoing? The definition of joy for me is from the book of Philippians where Paul uses the word joy about 15 or 17 times to describe a constant sense that God's good and in control. So rejoicing with the truth is an internal confidence that we have that God exists and we're not Him. Peter testified about that very well. About his own story, about Iraq, about our role with that. What is joy? Confidence that God is in control and good and will work it out. Love is not a pushover, but knows when to rejoice and why. Why do we not rejoice at wrongdoing? Why do we rejoice with the truth? Because in an unrepaired world, you and I are God's emissaries, imperfect, limited agents of His grace and truth and love. And so in little ways and big ways, we attempt to acquiesce to the Holy Spirit, growing us up to rejoice with the truth and not a wrongdoing. And man, that is tricky. Isn't it? And here's why it's tricky. We have all these other allegiances in our life. But if you're a follower of of Christ, 
Your allegiance to him is to transcend all other allegiances. Which doesn't mean those allegiances don't matter. Allegiance to family, country, race. Those, those allegiances matter. But they are entirely subservient to allegiance to Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, hate your father and mother, he was not speaking about with your activity. Don't hate them with your activity. He was giving a comparison. Because then what happens? The follower of Jesus is that much more able to honor and love their father and mother because their first allegiance is to Christ. Same thing with country and race. But rejoicing with the truth and not rejoicing at wrongdoing absolutely must transcend those other allegiances through faith in Jesus. If it doesn't, then what you have is a religion, not a following of Jesus. I don't know if you know the distinction. Like, there are some people that believe that these things happen, but they don't participate. Some people participate in the life of, of worship at a church, but it's a religious thing. They believe that what they're doing accomplishes something before God by showing up at church, and that's not the case. Our religious activity does not merit anything before God. The work of Christ does, and so we, we learn to participate and enjoy the Father heart of God, the work of Christ, and the indwelling Holy Spirit. But a, a believer can still have mixed allegiances. A religious person can still have mixed allegiances. But if you pay attention to the words of Jesus and the implication of the whole rest of the New Testament, Acts through Revelation, it is that those allegiance are allegiances... Allegiances? Yes. Allegiances are entirely subservient to allegiance to him. Some of you uh, are big fans of the book of Revelation and the way that the book of Revelation describes the end of time as we understand it today. Listen, the book of Revelation is far more clear about allegiance and worship than it is about those things. Which doesn't mean those things don't matter. But the first step is allegiance. And so our political views need to be transcended by our faith. Our family allegiances must be transcended by our faith or it isn't faith. Our allegiances to race. Race is the whole problem in America and I believe the answer to it is faith in Christ where there is neither Jew nor Gentile, which doesn't sound funny to you. There's no other Jew nor Gentile. To the first century church, that was shocking. Whoa. Allegiance to Christ transcends all that? Yep. Love is not a pushover. Knows when to rejoice and why. We rejoice at the truth. We do not rejoice at wrongdoing because we're following Jesus and trying to trust him. With all of our hearts, views, decisions, backstories, news, neighbors. And the reason that love is not a pushover but knows how to rejoice with the truth and not rejoice at wrongdoing is because it is love. We're being grown into a robust human who loves in a thick, powerful, robust, 
way. More than choice, more than feelings, in truth and in grace. And you know what's so interesting about this is you could take most of my sermon and believe that it is something for us as individuals to chew on and think about. The New Testament never assumes that, ever. Every you in the book of Romans through Revelation, every Y-O-U that you and I read is you plural. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling is a lot of people's defense of get alone and really think about the gospel and study it. But that's not what Paul meant. Paul meant get together with other people and figure out how do we rejoice with the truth? How do we not rejoice at wrongdoing? What do you do when your friends say that? What do you do when your coworkers say that? What do you do with family? So one of the ways that we do that is eat together. And you're like, what? Yeah, that's one of the ways that we do it. It's one of the ways that you help me grow and I help you grow as we sit and we talk about these things. Imperfectly, we sit and talk about this. So I'm going to invite uh, Kathleen Derboys to come and share about an opportunity to sit with other people at a meal because it doesn't get more New Testament Christian than that than to sit with some other folks and discuss life and the gospel. Turn this on. Oh, it's on. Whoa. Okay. Morning. Um, my name is Kathleen Derboys, and uh, I want to talk to you about some magic. It's good godly magic, but I still want to talk to you about magic. Um, uh, just to let you know, I'm here on behalf of Glue, and I'll explain about that in a little bit later. But um, I want to tell you a story about um, a way that God used food to show me magic. Um, a lot of you know that before I became a school teacher, I uh, was a caterer, and I would go a lot of different places and cook a lot of food, and it was a lot of work. Not as much work as being a school teacher is, though, but it was a lot of work. And um, when, I, when I started this catering business, it was a real gift from God that he just put in my lap. And um, because I was so moved by God putting it in my lap, I said to the Lord, I, you know, I really want to give back. And so every time God brought a, an opportunity for me to cook um, as a way to do ministry, I always did my best to say absolutely and uh, work with folks. And um, something interesting happened. It was this, what I call the, one of the goodies in the bag on, the, on a long journey of hard work. Um, and that was that when God had something specifically important that he needed to accomplish or, or some business he was about in whatever ministry I happened to be working with, I, I started to experience this, this thing where he would, he, it was clear to me he had gone before me and he would, he would set things up and he would solve problems and, and he would provide a box of Ziploc bags when I really needed them and hadn't thought to bring them. Or he would, he just, there was, there were so many examples of where uh, the Lord went before me. When, when I agreed to serve him, he went before me. And I was so blessed by that. And many times my life was saved by that magic that he used to do. Um, 
So what does that got to do with, uh, with what we're doing? So the GLUE committee, which I hope some of you know uh, what that is, it's a, it's a committee that, uh, of uh, people who have um, made it their mission to connect people here in our body. Um, and we do that by setting up various times to fellowship together. Um, and the one thing I can say about the people in the GLUE committee is that they are people who have the gift, the gift of hospitality. So they really want to use that gift to get people in the body connected with each other um, in some interesting ways. Um, the other thing that we do with GLUE is we uh, go out and support the ministries in our church so that they can do their ministry and we can help them connect people. So what's coming up uh, now is we're going to do another Adventures in Fellowship, which is a, uh, a time where we have recruited 10 different people uh, to cook a meal in their home, and they've invited people from the congregation to sign up for that meal and then come have dinner. But here's the interesting part. Uh, neither the host nor the guests know who you are. You are signing up based on the food that's being offered. And uh, as you get closer to the time of the meal, you'll be contacted to let you know where you're going um, and what time to be there. And um, it's only when you show up that you, that you get to meet the people you're having dinner with. And the way that that connects to this whole magic theme is that as the person who um, kind of stands behind the table with Rosemary and, and other GLUE members and watches these dinners get set up, it's just another example of how God's magic happens because uh, he, I have seen him set up meals that really needed to happen. Some pretty amazing meals that really needed to happen. And, and it just further convinces me that he is a God of details and that he knows what we need much better than we know ourselves before we know ourselves. And um, so I wanted to kind of tell you that story and encourage you to, to come and sign up. Don't be reluctant. Um, if you've done it before, you know how great it is. If you haven't done it yet, we really like you to try. There are there are like 75 spots for people to come and have dinner with, with different folks. And so I want to just invite you to sign up and wait to see what kind of magic happens. Okay? Thanks. Sue, I had her come up during the service. God knows what we need even better than we do. It's true. He desires your and my happiness even more than we do and knows how to accomplish it. You and I have an odd calling if you're a follower of Jesus. To learn to love in grace and in truth. To learn to rejoice with the truth and not at wrongdoing. Which, is, which will make us appear odd to many of our neighbors. But what's happening as we trust the Holy Spirit around our tables, in prayer, as we worship together, as he grows us into prose at love. Not like poetry and prose, but professionals. I've been using the term that we are naturally amateurs. You and I are not good at love naturally. We are selfish Folks, naturally. 
when I desired to speak into my friend's story about her divorce instead of putting my arm around her. That was actually a selfish move. She should listen to my advice. I'm so helpful. I'm a pastor. I know this stuff. It's kind of selfish. We're naturally selfish. And yet God, in His grace, not only gives us the internal peace of the with God life, He not only gives us the eternal security of knowing that we get to be with Him, He grows us up today into men and women who know how to rejoice with the truth and not at wrongdoing. His grace is that robust and profound. Would you pray with me? Father, would you teach us as a church, as a community of Jesus followers, what it means in 2017 and beyond to not rejoice at wrongdoing and to rejoice with the truth. Father, remind us that you are God and that you've got it and then grow us up in love. I thank you for your Father heart towards me, towards all of us in this room. I thank you for the work of Christ that reconciles us to you and thank you for the Holy Spirit that is even now growing us up in love. Amen.